0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com.
1: All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Doing a little bit different intro this time because this is the Ask Sweetwater segment for March. And right now we have Sweetwater sales engineer Kevin Spundy on the phone. And he likes to go by Spundy. Is that correct? Yeah. Just straight Spundy. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what Natalie told me. All right. So yeah. we had a bunch of questions come in and Kevin's been at Sweetwater for a while. Why don't you give us a little brief story about your musical journey, how you ended up at Sweetwater. And we'll, we'll ask this question here.
0: Yeah. A uh, lifelong musician, went to college at University of Miami for music business and songwriting And been at Sweetwater for just over five years. A lot of my stuff I do now is gigging out with cover bands. So I am the guy that owns the entire PA system, my cover band. And I also play bass and sing all the backing vocals. And then as well as working at Sweetwater in sales as a sales engineer, I also help out our marketing department a fair amount with content for video stuff for bass guitar. And I also teach uh, the new sales folks about bass gear. So I teach a couple of our Sweetwater University classes on bass guitars and then just bass amps and bass pedals and stuff.
1: Perfect. Perfect. We've been doing a lot more bass content on the podcast, so the timing is interesting. But Good. Anyway, so we <laughs> scrolled through uh, all the questions, uh, and we ended up settling on one that I think is kind of good for whoever's listening, because it, it might surprise you to find out. We I'm starting to discover there's a lot of non-guitar players that listen to the podcast, actually like Natalie, who orchestrated this whole thing. So Yeah. Uh, This might be a a good general question for anyone who's uh, interested in audio. So the question is, I need an upgrade from my five inch studio monitors. What do you
0: recommend? And that was sent to us from Sonia Quartzleaf. So for studio monitors, a lot of times this question pops up with customers and they might say, well, I spent three hundred dollars on a pair of five inch studio monitors and now I have four hundred dollars. I want to get an eight inch pair of monitors and bigger isn't really better. You need bigger speakers for maybe a bigger room or if you need just louder speakers. Like for me, what I'm usually doing in my home studio is I'm practicing along with tracks or I'm tracking myself. I've got a wooden ear, so I'm not like usually doing any like complex mixing. So what I I do is I have bigger monitors in my room for my space. I've got seven inch monitors, even though I'd probably be fine with fives, but I'm usually cranking them. So what you got to look at is if, if you have, you know, $300 set of five inch monitors, a $400 set of eight inch monitors isn't an upgrade unless you're moving into a bigger room or something. Um, So that's kind of one of the most common things. But I I usually look at jumping up um, 50% about in price to 100% higher in price. So the $600 set of monitors is going to certainly sound better than a $300 set of monitors. Uh, Usually it's if you don't really know exactly what you want to look for. um, If you don't know what you should get at certain price points, I mean, call us and talk to your sales engineer because we probably have opinions for a bunch of different stuff we've tried. We get training on this stuff on a weekly basis. So we're pretty well versed in that. Without knowing the exact price point though, that somebody has for something, um, and without knowing what the size of their space is, it's a little bit hard to answer the question. But that is probably a, m- a most common um, type of uh, situation I get of somebody saying, like, I want better than 5-inch monitors. Bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. You might just need 5-inch monitors for your size room. So... And with that, I usually say about like how many feet are you from the monitors with your listening position? So if you're like, you know, five, six feet from the listening, from the, the monitors at your listening position, then, you know, five inch monitors are fine. If it's like, you know, eight feet away, then yeah, seven or eight inch monitors. So an inch equals a foot, sort of in that way, is a, a decent way to sort of eyeball it or just by volume. Um, but yeah. Thanks
1: for that. That was very informative. Now my last question is since somebody's going to be winning a $50 Sweetwater gift card, somebody who listens to this podcast, what would you spend $50 on at Sweetwater?
0: I play bass, so bass strings and stuff like that are super expensive. Um if I was a, a you know, not working at Sweetwater, if I wasn't in the building every day, I'd probably spend $50 by getting a set of uh, $30 strings and then a $20 pack of picks. But since I'm in the building, if I had a $50 to spend there, I'd probably just get coffee for the next two weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. That's a solid answer, man. Thanks so much for coming on and answering those questions. And big thanks to Sweetwater for supporting the podcast this month. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Later, man. All right. That was a lot of fun. But it was a little bit of a longer intro than usual, so I'll try to keep this part short and sweet. So the winner of the $50 gift card was Frank Lo Cicero. And if that is you, and you have not received an email, check your spam, A, because it's you've been contacted already. And if there's some other reason you can't find it, shoot an email to info at tonemob.com, and we'll make sure that you get that all taken care of. So, without further ado... Let's get into this episode with Ryan Bruce, better known as Fluff, from the YouTube channel Riffs, Beards, and Gear, which are things that you know I'm a big fan of. He's an awesome dude, and this was an awesome conversation, and I think you're really gonna enjoy it. And if you haven't checked him out, his links will be in the show notes. All right, on with the show. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Ryan Bruce, better known as Fluff. What's going on, man? Hey, what's up, dude? How you doing? Well, you know, as always, I gotta pretend like we weren't just talking for 15 minutes (laughs) beforehand, which is always a weird thing.
2: Also, in this climate, like, I know that's a standard ask of like, hey, how are you doing? Everyone is not doing great. We right. you know that. Everyone knows. But, you know, you just feel obligated You're like, oh, I'm good. Like, no one's good. Right. No one's good right now.
1: I mean, I'm relatively good, <laughs> I should say. You know, it's a, like my life in this very moment, other than like trying to stay in as much as humanly possible, isn't really that different for mm-hmm. me because I just do this all the time. So it's it hasn't Dude, changed that much. Do you much. do this? Do you do this? Uh, do you do this full time? Uh, well, I do this and then I do or more or less full time. Uh, yeah, I do this and then I do uh, social media stuff uh, for a bunch of different companies. So I'm still isolated. Oh dang! Yeah. Um, for the time yeah, being, yeah, uh, we'll you're see, living that life too. We'll see how that goes. You know, <laughs> for the time being, that's what I'm doing. Everyone's. <laughs> eh. Eh. Exactly. Yeah. But um, uh. before we get uh, too far off the rails, and I'm super down to get off the rails, what uh, we, got, we probably have some listeners that aren't aware of you and what you do. Well, maybe not. They're all a bunch of gear nerds, so maybe that's not true. But maybe we selfishly, because I would like to know, dig into your backstory. All of a sudden, I just found this guy calling himself <laughs> Fluff on YouTube one day, and I was like, wow, this is rad. Uh, but I don't know how you got there. So, <laughs> what's your uh, yeah? What's your origin story?
2: Um, the origin story is I was a uh, I started playing guitar in summer of '94, and was delivering newspapers and I was in I was like almost 14 years old. I start playing guitar and I get really into like you know I was a grunge kid. It's the Seattle area. I'm from the Northwest. Um, and I was a super grunge kid, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. I was like, you know, the flannel wearing kid. I was the perfect age for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And from there, I got into Fat Wreck, Epitaph, punk rock, and then I got into like pretty political punk rock. And then I had my daughter at age twenty, and I kind of had to. I kind of had to quickly shift from being a. Uh, crazy party animal kid to uh, a full-fledged adult, lost all my friends, uh, went and got a a job turning wrenches and working on cars for most of my 20s, and then I went to Boeing and got married and all that stuff, and the YouTube thing kind of started in really late 2010, uh, early 2011, and I just made a comparison video for a couple of different mics, uh, a, a Shure SM57 and an Audix i5, as a way to just kind of kill time and boredom at home. And I did it for a couple years, and it did some cool stuff. Um, I was able to do cool stuff, and I started working with just a few companies. And then I ended up getting fired from Boeing unexpectedly in 2015. And then uh, a month later, uh, I got divorced. And I figured, well, if I've lost everything, I'm going to go ahead and just Really put all of my chips in one basket to do something that I actually enjoy doing, which was the YouTube thing. And I cashed out my retirement fund of uh, fifty thousand bucks and uh, lived off of that for about a year. And it was after taxes and fees and heavy, heavy early withdrawal penalties. it ended up only being like thirty thousand bucks.
1: I was but, gonna say like um, it wasn't fifty grand by the time you got to it. I'm sure. No, no, it was
2: not fifty grand. It was close to like twenty five, but. Uh, I lived off of that twenty-five grand for about a year, and I was able to still make the mortgage because I still I had a house. I was suddenly in a big-ass house by myself with the dogs, and uh, I had nothing to do than make videos and do guitar nerdy stuff and be in my band I had just started at the time, and that was it. And it was a really weird transition, and I just figured. If I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail at doing something I love. And uh I'm still waiting for it to fail. It hasn't quite failed yet, but uh right. You never know.
1: There's seems always more. Like seems like it's been an upward trajectory <laughs> generally. Like pretty pretty steady Generally ascent. speaking, yeah. It, yeah, there's been some uh, some
2: huge like there's been some huge steps. Um the earliest step was, you know, um I I'm an audio engineer and I like mixing stuff and um I met this this random YouTuber guy. Um, he was kind of small but I thought he had an insane amount of uh, subs at the time. He had 30,000 subs on YouTube and he reached out and he saw one of my one of his fans sent sent him one of my videos and he said, "Hey man, this guy's stuff sounds really good. You should get him to mix your audio and" He shot me an email and he said, "Hey, my my name's Rob Scallon and I I make these really weird quirky videos and I, I hate mixing, and I hate doing audio stuff, and I want to be creative. Uh, do you want to mix my audio for me? And I was like, well, yeah, Nam's right around the corner. Are you coming to Nam? And he was, so we we met over a beer, and he agreed to have me mix his audio. And um, he couldn't afford to pay me, so he, uh, instead what worked out is that instead of paying me, he would just shout me out at the end of a video saying I mixed it. And uh, he'd link me in the in the uh, comment or in the in the description box he would link link to my channel and uh, the first thing we did was uh, metal in inappropriate places and then uh, <laughs> I think the second video I think the second video we did was like Slayer banjo raining blood in uh on banjo and both those went super viral immediately and because of that deal we worked out everyone was starting to come and check me out too as a result and and my shit blew up and uh it was uh, it was good. It was uh, nice. it was wild. And then in twenty fifteen was the turning point of doing it full time. I hadn't done it full time up until that point. So okay, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. twenty fifteen is really when it started. Yeah,
1: that's that's very interesting. So one of the things I like to talk to people, like especially like other content creators and stuff, about is like this doing this stuff is. I, I've told my audience this a million times that it's not like what it seems. Um, like what are some of the biggest things that people don't know about what you do? What do people assume, but it is not actually the case Um, I think people
2: assume they use maybe a nineteen fifties way of thinking about content creators. They think we're one and the same as someone who has their own t v show or someone that has <sighs> I don't know, support in any other way. Like um, the assumption is always you're making so much money. There's tons and tons and tons of money, A. And B, um, there's always the negative people that, you know, think, oh, companies are paying you to say that or, I don't know, just ridiculous things like that. When, when, When the fact of the matter is there has never been so little money in the music industry than right now it's not gaming for example right. um, and you know budgets budgets and mar- marketing budgets and artist relations budgets are so small um, really the situation is hey we have this thing if you think it's cool do you want to check it out and put it on your channel and normally it's yes or no and they send it and that's it what I do with it is totally up to me and what i say is totally up to me um but i think the huge misconception is like we're just swimming in money like you know i have i think i have three hundred and forty-five thousand subs and i think it's like 57 million views or something like that or i don't even know what it is i'm not really a numbers guy but it's only been in the last what two years that i didn't have to have a side job um and previous side jobs were, you know, artist relations for other gear companies, but um it's only I've only been just doing YouTube for about a year and a half, um, because you know, net. I'm, I mean, I never ever talk about money. I hate talking about money because I think it takes away from the content. But like, as an example, you know, my ad revenue from YouTube is only I'm netting like four grand a month. Like, right. that's not a ton.
1: No, but especially I don't not have in overhead. I don't, the Pacific I, I, <laughs> Northwest.
2: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have to drive anywhere. I get to stay home. My commute is to my coffee maker, and so that allows you, if you put in the work, to just kind of self-sustain and just kind of get by. And uh, it's and that's totally fine. My goal, my dude, my goal was never ever to do this full time. That was a pipe dream. So, the fact that I get to do it is amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's it is a lot of work, and that's the other thing. Like, if if I'm being paid to tell people about something, it's at the sponsorships at the top of the episode, and it's pretty clear this episode yes. is sponsored by so and so. Otherwise, whatever I say about something is exactly how I feel about it. And I I think that's a big big one for that I I think my people get pretty well because you know this is a smaller like tight knit community that has me in their head, you know. For hours at a time, uh mm-hmm. in some cases, and so they 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 know me, and I think they understand that like this is genuine. Like when I I talk about Benson amps all the time, but that's because I really genuinely love mm-hmm. what Chris does, and I have a couple of them. I have three of them, and that's because I love them, and I paid for them. <laughs> so like right
2: right, uh, right. yeah, I, and you know the same goes with the podcast, right? Like you know you, you didn't you didn't start a podcast to make money no one no one become does anything in the music industry specifically to make money because that's a very very poor decision you're making if that is the case like no one when i started for the guitar nerd thing i only started it out of frustration and anger that i wasn't seeing the videos that i wanted to see you know i would i would ask guys that were showing themselves for example reamping i don't know if you're Listeners would know what reamping is. Uh, I'm sure they do. They're very, you guys got, you guys get pretty nerdy on here, but, uh, oh yeah. Um, I wrote this, I wrote this guy on how to reamp and he said, I would rather not give my secrets up. And I thought, God forbid I get to sound good too. Like, why, why is, why is sounding good so monopolized? And I wanted to be that anti, anti monopolization guy. Like, I was like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn everything and then I'm gonna
1: tell everyone for free. Ha. Ah, that's that was my motivation. <laughs> so. Well, and you know, and that's such a I, <laughs> I've I've heard that before too. I've heard people say, like, I don't want to like give away for free the thing that I had to pay to learn, and I can kind of understand that. Like I get that mindset to a degree because it's like I I had to mm-hmm. pay for it, but but at the same time, it's like that's just not the world we really live in anymore. It it's you can learn anything and everything. And if it's not going to be you that tells people how to do it, it's going to be somebody else. So you might as well, mm-hmm. you know, throw your opinion out there if you really have one and really want to share it. Don't be scared of, uh, you know, giving away things for free. I mean, that is, that is the world we live in these days. Yeah, I think
2: it is um, a confidence thing and, and f- being comfortable with what you do as well. I would challenge anyone to come into my actual studio with, that I work out of, having all the same tools I do, and to, to kick out the same thing that I do, because they can't. Right. And so therefore, the knowledge surrounding all that stuff should be readily available, and giving back and and l- teaching people the skills to do what they want is the only way everything is gonna progress forward and as a whole. So, you know, oh no. Your YouTube videos are gonna sound great too. Oh no, yeah, that's such a terrible <laughs> thing. Like, no, it's great. I want everyone to sound good. <laughs> you know, I don't know, cause I, mm-hmm. I hate watching bad sounding videos. So, you know, it's it's partially selfish motivation, but uh, you know, everyone should sound good. Everyone deserves to sound
1: great. That's true. And this, this day and age, there's there's almost no reason why everyone can't like. There's so many good tools available that no. aren't a million dollars like they used to be. It's just uh it's a it's a wonderful thing like as right. much as as much as we like oh there's not as much music money in the music industry anymore like that is true, but also it's like in some ways it's never been a better time to be a creator with the amount of tools we have available and uh right ability yes, there's to so many learn tools um so. Mm-hmm. But you also, we haven't really talked about this yet. We've talked about YouTube quite a bit, but you're also in a band called Dragged Under, who is managed by our mutual friend Joey, who has been on the show before.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Joey, dude, I, have, I love few people as much as I love Joey. Um, Joey is such a dude. He has this saying that I have adopted, but uh, when I first met him, he was like, he was so nice. And I was just like, dude, why are you so nice? And he was like, <laughs> be a dude and prosper. And I was like, yeah, I'm with that. I'm totally mm-hmm. with that. So, um, yeah, we're in, I'm in Drag Dunder, And we started Out of the Ashes of another band I was in called Restropose. And we went to the studio as Restropose, in fact, and cut the first four songs of of what would become the Dragged Under record. And most of the band quit and we were kind of left in the studio, like to our own devices. We had our producer Hiram come up to kind of help guide us into, because we knew we wanted a different sound. We wanted a more live show driven sound. And we had these demos that we were super, super proud of. And we just sent them to all of our friends. And one of those friends was Joey. And you know, the used, I am i'm a mega mega used fan and to be able to send demos and songs and music to the guitar player of the use and then have him go hey guys check this out which is what happened um was just incredible and we we sent him to a bunch of people and, and joey texted me back and he was like dude these are like really good this like the music's really really good these songs are so catchy let me help you and i was like well what do you mean he's like i don't like to use the word management because you were in control of your own destiny but let me help you let me you know let me be that shoulder that you or you know that outside person that you can bounce stuff on and ultimately it turned into like a full tilt management thing but at the time he was just helping us out because he liked the music that he was hearing, and Bert was the one that suggested we just start over. Uh, Bert, the singer of the Used, uh, was the one that suggested we just ditch rest, repose, and like start all over. And so we just formed a totally new band and started from the ground up. And uh, Joey's been there from the very beginning, and he's been such a source of inspiration and guidance for us. I can't even stress that enough. He's so amazing.
1: Yeah, he is. So yeah,
2: when we uh, we just got back from tour with the Used, um, we were on tour with the Used for. God, six weeks or something like that. And it was amazing and one of the highlights of my entire life for sure. And uh, yeah, jo- Joey's the dude, man. Love Joey.
1: Yeah, he's amazing. His episode was so cool too. And it was funny to talk to him because mm-hmm. he, he uh, you know, I'm a massive Thrice fan and so is he. And so we like nerded Same. out uh, Thrice <laughs> like, the whole time. Um, and it was uh, it yeah. was a great time. But he's he's so cool. I hope to get to meet him in person one day. We were supposed to uh, try to on that tour, but uh, he he had to like hang out with his wife instead. Like it was weird. I mean, shh, I can't even, you know, like, who would do that? Dude, honestly, I would choose I would choose you over. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't. If you're listening, <laughs> I'm really sorry. I don't mean that, honey. Um, <laughs> no, no but, yeah, it, it was like on the Portland stop. He was like, "Oh, my wife's coming in that day." I'm like. Don't, if you yeah go hang out with your wife obviously <laughs> duh um all good but, yeah but but yeah one of these times Let's see I'm you know you and I have some mutual like uh background similarities uh <laughs> which I did not know so that's kind of interesting yeah. I also am in the Pacific Northwest um just a few years younger but I so I came up with you know, first hearing grunge stuff on the radio and like, oh, this Nirvana thing's pretty cool. And, and so it was kind of interesting. And then like, I <laughs> was an I was a heavy, heavy equipment mechanic for a long time. And so it's like, oh, this is all an interesting. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. 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 I did the, I worked at the Caterpillar dealer for a long time and I worked on dump trucks and all that stuff Uh, for. Oh, wow. Eight years or so. So yeah, it was hanging upside down in excavators covered in grease it was a good time it wasn't that good of a time oh yeah yeah (laughs) no you you know the grind yeah it's just it's funny when i hear these like similar trajectories and now like and now we're here which is a weird place to be but i'm super thankful for it and it's because of whoever's listening to this right now quite literally that's that's why i get to do this so thank you for listening to this whoever you are yeah Yes, thank you for listening. You. You right now. You, this this person.
2: <laughs> you. No, not you. You. Yeah. Yeah, you, Jacob. Mm-hmm. Jacob I hope there's, there's someone named a, Jacob and going,
1: whoa. I guarantee you there's a Jacob. I know there's a <laughs> Dylan. I know there's a Dustin. I know there's a Sonia. Uh, okay. I know, there's so many. I'm, I should just shout out all Thanks, my Sonya. Patreons. Yeah. Tanya rules. She's awesome. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's see. What else should we get into here? Well, you know, supposedly this is a gear podcast. We should probably talk about your gear and all that stuff. So what are you playing uh, as a rig for the dragged under stuff? That's probably the easiest way to start.
2: Uh, The dragged under stuff is actually pretty simple. Um, I play a couple of... uh, what are basically customized Dustin Ken Stingray RSs for Music Man. Nice. And I go into a Wine6 Helix uh, rack mm-hmm. and I go out of that into a um, Matrix power amp and we send a direct signal to front of house because we have an in-ear system, but we also push a cab we also push cabs uh, just for a little bit of ambient a reinforcement of what we're hearing in the in ears to get some air moving. Um, so we go into an orange two twelve, and that is literally the entire live rig. Uh, Sennheiser wireless stuff. Um, Sennheiser is very very good to us. Uh, good friends, and uh, they've been very very supportive. Line Six is incredibly supportive of us, and Music Man, uh, Ernie Ball Music Man, uh, are the most roadworthy. But best awesomest guitars ever Um, we just absolutely thrashed them on this last tour and uh couldn't believe the how they held up um any less guitars would have just crumbled and left us by the side of the road but uh we were shocked every single day with the gear and it was all so reliable and so awesome we didn't have any hiccups it was great
1: do you have any reason for going with the helix rack versus the floor Yes. Um, when
2: a few years ago, so initially the transition started when I was playing um, Orange Amps and I had this giant road case that the Rockoverb lived in and then I was using four cable method with the Helix for all the effects and channel switching.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I had, I didn't have the floor, I didn't have the Helix floor, but I did have the control, which I still use now to, rec- to um uh, control everything, but we were playing the show, and it was in Utah, and the venue uh, was called the Loading Dock, and it was an old auto garage converted into a live venue, and it was basically outside, because the crowd would be sticking halfway outside, because they would just roll open the doors, and that was that. Um, The stage was very, very narrow. Well, long story short, you know, we were getting—this show was nuts, and— kids jumping off stages everywhere well an entire bottle of water dumped onto my control Ooh. and shorted it out and it started like switching channels and stuff but a lesson i learned is you know because uh, when we started doing the dragged under thing i reevaluated my entire setup and mad at line six was like if you want a floor we'll send you a floor like it would make a lot of sense to just be super super clean but then I thought, well, I don't want to run cables back to like the wireless or anything like that. I don't want a pedal board. I don't want, because right now I have a single cable going to my helix control back to my rack, and that's the only cable that is out. Everything else is totally wireless um, for my guitar. So if I had spilt that bottle of water on a helix control, that would have been that would have been catastrophic because I would have fried the whole unit, whereas with the control, if I dump a bottle of water on it, I was able to call line six and they overnighted two more out in the middle uh, of tour and I was off and running because the rack is safe behind me. Right, so right, That right, was right. ultimately why I chose
1: the rack. I was having a flashback to a, a Lucero show maybe, maybe six years ago here in Portland and this dude just, like we were kind of standing pretty close and this dude just ran up And had a beer in his hand and just started shaking it over his head. Like, he was having a good time. (laughs) Like, just shaking it all over the place. And I get it, like, at the time, especially at the time, they were kind of like that drinking band, you know? Uh, They've toned down a little bit Mm -hmm. in in recent years. But, like, and and then, like, they just stopped and they were, like, looked at him and they're like, you see all this stuff on the floor? These are electronics. You, like, don't dump beer on our stuff that we need to make the show with, please. Like, that seems like a reasonable thing to ask. And it was just, like, amazing that, like, I don't know, like, people's reactions, you know what I mean? It's, it's very strange. I don't know how if people think about, like, how all this stuff works. It's weird.
2: No, I mean, but I'm torn because as a music fan, I shouldn't have to think about your gear and where you place your gear, but at the same time... I should be respectful to the band stuff because obviously that stuff costs a lot of money. But if I keep everything back behind me, back by the drums, I don't have to worry about you, and I don't have to worry about me. So therefore, I'm going to use the simplest form factor possible and keep it as clean as possible. Uh, it's just kind of—I used to have the big pedal board.
0: Mm-hmm. I used
2: to have this giant pedal board with a bunch of pedals, and I got so tired of. You know, every single night it seemed like something was wrong, whether it was due to, like, humidity. We did this U.S. tour once, and as soon as we got down to Florida, we had, like, four pedals short out and die because everything was wet from the humidity and the cables were just dying. And it was like, man, I don't want to do that anymore. That's so stressful, and I try to live my life as stress-free as possible.
1: Do you save, like, um, I'm sure, like, you're a gear nerd. Like, you save that stuff for the studio mostly, I'm assuming. Or do you go on the um, full model? Yeah, in the studio,
2: it's nuts. Um, No, actually, honestly, it depends. Well, live, it's all Helix, but in the studio, it's Fractal, it's Helix, it's Synergy, it's Friedman... Angle, it's orange, it's maze of boogie, it's PV stuff. Like in the studio, I feel like I can always just use whatever guilt-free because there are a lot of uh there's a lot of people that watch my stuff that that like will get offended if I use something that they don't approve of. There's that that ownership, and you know, I understand the ownership of you know y- watching something for years on end when you're in your vulnerable moments, when you're laying in bed in the morning, when you're at the office, when, you know, whatever, when you're making lunch, like, I understand the ownership of all that stuff, but in the studio, I try to be as free and open as absolutely possible. And it's only the live situation that I, that I, uh, I try to keep it really controlled.
1: Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it is, it is weird how fired up people get about this stuff. Like... I mean, people get really mad about what you're using or what somebody's using. Like we had a guy in our Facebook group, you know, that basically said we were all morons because not not that many of us were using the four cable method. And it was and he and he said, You're all known no tone having hacks <laughs> and like rage quit the the group and it was just like, Well not everybody needs a not every amp has a effects loop. Like what are you talking like? What's go- what is going on here? It was like one of the most bizarre things I've um, ever seen. The um,
2: the thing that infuriated my fans the most is when I switched string brands. Uh, I grew up uh, when I was I was fourteen, I was fifteen years old, and I used to wash both my parents' cars and and mow the lawn. And in exchange, my my dad would take me to. Uh, uh, Don's Green River Music in Auburn, Washington, and where my uncle worked and it was this amazing gu- guitar shop and I would pick out a couple of packs of Ernie Ball strings as payment. And I I have a very very deep nostalgic family connection because my my childhood was very very chaotic, but it was those moments where it was just me and dad going to the guitar shop picking out some strings that are very is very very special to me those memories so I have a very very deep uh, affection for Ernie Ball and when I went from I think it was Clear Tone I was playing Clear Tone strings for a while I switched from them to Ernie Ball people lost their absolute minds I was getting hate emails I was getting inbox messages telling me what a huge mistake and how how dumb I was, and that they were unsubscribing and no longer watching my stuff because of the string brand that I chose to play on my guitars. And I was like, "This is unbelievable! Like, why do you care what I play?" Like, it was crazy to me. But I mean, I I, I love and respect the passion, but I think it's, it can be a little misplaced, and and sometimes people don't have enough to do with their time. I suppose.
1: I guess. Maybe that is the answer. I'm not sure. It, that is insane. I mean, <laughs> like, I I have, uh, you know, a lot of nostalgic uh, memories of Ernie Ball too. And like, you know, like I play, I played those strings because that's what the guys in Thrice played when I was, you know, gr- growing up. It was like, yes, all these different things, all these different reasons. You know, now I'm like, uh, do I do work for a company called Stringjoy, uh, who I'm good friends with now. So like, I'm not gonna, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not gonna be switching because I really believe in what they do. But I, I understand the nostalgic feeling. You know, it's a, and I don't think anybody should get mad at people for like that's like. Getting mad at people for what kind of pants that they want to wear or like the brand of socks they chose for that. Right.
2: That's exactly. You're, yeah, you wear Nikes. So therefore, I hate you now. Like, what?
1: You used to wear Adidas. Oh, man. You used to wear what I like. And now it's, (laughs) everything's changed. (laughs) You're a bad person. (laughs) Right. So getting back to some of the gear stuff, like what are some of your favorite pedals right now? You get to pl- try a lot of stuff and I fortunately get to try a lot of stuff too, but what's uh what's really tripping your trigger right now?
2: Oh man, um I've always been super super into overdrives. I love I love overdrives and I I spend I spend hours of my day looking at overdrive pedals. I literally just ordered an overdrive this morning from Japan. Um, and I really, really love Tube Screamer-based overdrives, and there's a million of them. Um, it's like the most rehashed overdrive circuit on the planet, but um, I really have been loving, uh, I just got um, a way huge uh, overrated special, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I got the, okay, so Maxon, for the 40th anniversary of the Maxon OD808, did a collaboration between five, companies that modded oh, the right, 808 right. circuit and they made it limited run yeah um, I got all of those from Kevin, Kevin at Godlike was so nice um, Kevin is just the most amazing dude ever and he uh, he sent over basically all of the Maxon OD808s for me to play with and I made a video comparing them all but uh, um, he was so nice after the video he, he didn't make me send them back He knows how much I love, and and I and I bought. I've bought several of them. Uh, I already already owned several of them uh, already. So he basically just kind of filled in the holes. And uh, the I think it's the Earthquaker and the Pictronics modded Maxon OD808 is just lovely. And then um, there's an overdrive pedal called (laughs) the I think it's the Scranton Drive, and it has the it has a painting of Steve Carell with a do-rag on from The Office. <laughs> and it's 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 a really, really nice overdrive. Um, I think it's from Emerson. And I don't know, man. I just love overdrives. Um, the Boss SD1 is st- still super awesome. The Blues Driver. Um, I don't know, man. They're all so good. But I love Maxons uh, in particular.
1: Okay. Well, sorry for that, folks. We had a if there was some weird timing uh, there, it's because <laughs> we had a little glitchy connection. But we've swapped connections and are now on a smooth, I don't know, steady path. Whatever we're on. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> overdrives. Yeah. So you you do things differently than than I do because you generally play, are playing like higher gain amps and things, and I tend to play. Like cleaner amps and get my dirt from pedals. So tube screamers have not ever really been my jam. I'm more of like a Dod two fifty, uh, okay. you know, and lots of fuzz type of person. So it's sure but my amps are ran pretty neutral. So it's a little bit, little bit of a different situation.
2: Um, in this quarantine time, I have actually. So it started with me, I've always been a huge ZZ Top fan, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a new doc, documentary on Netflix uh, about ZZ Top, and it is an amazing documentary uh, about the entire history of the band, old footage, you know, I don't know a lot about ZZ Top, I know a lot about Billy Gibbons, but I don't know, but I've never seen old footage of the early days of ZZ Top because, you know... Video cameras weren't around then, and you just don't see that stuff, but they show lots and lots of cool stuff. Anyway, it was very very inspiring, and I have, you know, I'm a, a long-time Les Paul lover. I love Gibson Les Pauls. Same. Like, I like I like my feet. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just love them so much, and I recently got uh, a 2019 50s standard and a 2019 60s standard. And... I got in at the basically just recently. I Orange sent me. I got to do this video on this uh, Tremlord. Oh yeah, and it's this all 2 combo amp, and um, it's ju- it's just a clean tone with tremolo and a really nice reverb. And at night when I- I'm kind of winding down, I plug that Les Paul into that that combo, hit the neck pickup and. It's just awesome. And I'm tur- I feel like I'm turning a page from the chugga-chugga stuff that I'm more known for. And then I do I, and I love playing. That's just kind of where I'm from. But man, there's absolutely a place for getting a dirt pedal into a clean amp and just kind of going for it. It's so cool and so fresh for me. I don't know. I'm I'm really loving that combination. Who would have thought a British Tube amp sounded good with the Les Paul. I think this combo and combination is going to catch on. No way. I know. Can you believe that? Yeah. No. Seriously. Huh. You should try it sometime. Huh.
1: I mean, that, I mean, I <laughs> guess that might be. Uh, I've it seems a little out there. Honestly, I've, i have I Never heard of. That I know. Before. But try it. Just yeah. Just try it. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a long time Les Paul guy too. Uh, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I. It was just like I felt like growing up all of them again all of my favorite guys not not exclusively but a lot of them played les pauls and yeah i just yeah always wanted a les paul i always wanted a white les paul a les paul custom because of frank from oh. from my chemical romance and then a bunch of hardcore guys were playing those and i finally got one a couple of years ago and i just love it so did much. did you yeah I'm uh, I'm looking back at it longingly right now. It's just so um so yummy. Mm. I
2: I have so okay, I have a funny white Les Paul custom story. Okay. It's not funny, it's kind of sad. But oh. um <laughs> uh so I I ordered one a brand new one early last year uh from the Gibson custom shop, Alpine white. Um I think I even ordered it slightly aged, like the white was going to be a little a slightly yellow. Oh man. That's that And yeah. and a long time went by, like a really long time went by. And it came back that they had actually had some contamination in the paint booth and they had a batch of White Les Paul customs that had like dust flecks in the paint. Oh, no. And one of those was mine.
1: Ugh.
2: and And so it was going to be, it, and so basically you get put on a rack uh, for redo, and they have to strip it, and they have to repaint it, and they were having just all sorts of problems with the paint booth. And I ended up canceling the order because they were like, it's going to be like another eight months for you to get this guitar. And I was just like, you know what? Never mind. And, but in that, I found this '60s standard. Uh, we were recording the record, the Dragged Under record, and we had a we had a break. We had like someone had to go somewhere for something. I can't even remember what it was. So me and Josh had like three hours to kill, and the guitar store in Seattle, which is one of my favorite guitar stores uh, up here. Uh, my buddy James owns it. Like let's go si- let's go say hi to James and hang out and play some guitars for a couple hours and have some lunch, and. I played this Les Paul, not not intending to walk out with a guitar, and I walked out with that guitar. Um, it had this crazy mojo, and I love it so much. It's this uh, Honey Burst, or uh, what's it called? Bourbon Burst. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's like a toba- tobacco burst kind of a thing, and it's just the most incredible guitar, and it just sings. And I instantly uh, wrote like three songs with it. It was one of those guitars. I was like, I have to take this home. So I took it home. Nice. So, yeah. Well, I love Les Pauls, man. It, let's talk about Les Pauls
1: for an hour. Okay. We can, well, I could talk about Les Pauls for an hour. <laughs> I, <laughs> I could. Uh, I'm, I could, too. I, uh, I, sh- I should say, though, I almost forgot that I did this because I don't always remember to, but I, I did plug in the Facebook group that you were coming on, and so I have a few questions for people. Oh. Or from people, please. rather. So, okay. let's see. Uh, Blake Lawson uh, he wants to know what drew you to the Gibson RD. Um, so a few years ago,
2: uh, actually, I—I I mean, right around the time Ghost came out, I started playing RDs, and it had nothing to do with Ghost, although they're one of my absolute favorite bands. But um, I was being a Nirvana fan and an old grunge fan. Um, back in the day, Chris Novoselic was playing RD basses with Nirvana. Mm-hmm. and and I had no idea that was a guitar I didn't know that they made a guitar version because again pre-internet like you're you just don't know these things and I saw a, a black and gold one in I think it was called the ultimate guitar book back in the back in the 90s and it was basically a picture book of wild guitars all sorts of guitars and um, it blew my mind. I thought it was because I like the Explorer, but it's a little—it's a little too pointy for me. And something about that RD shape really resonated with me. And when I finally got to play one in person, um, I'm not—I'm not a small guy. I'm a big dude, and most guitars look funny on me. Like that's why, like Paul Reed Smith guitars, I have one and I love it. It looks goofy on me because. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? like Or like the JP Majesty. I love Music Man, but that guitar looks goofy on me because it's such a small guitar. And here we had, you know, this 13-pound behemoth of a guitar that they only made for three years in the 70s. And I posted, or I was asked what my ultimate dream guitar would be that, I, that I've never had on an FAQ Monday on my YouTube channel a few years back about 2014 I think it was and I said it was the Gibson RD I've never I've never owned one that's my ultimate dream guitar and someone messaged me and they were like hey there's one on locally by you on Craigslist from a guitar collector I messaged him and he wanted 1500 bucks for this dead mint 77 RD oh, standard man <laughs> Yeah, and we met in, the, in a parking lot of a guitar center in South Center, and uh, the deal was done in the back of a, a VW bus, and, uh, and then I got another one uh, to myself as a divorce present, uh, and that was my my gig guitar for Rest Repose. Uh, that was an artist, a 77 RD artist, and uh, I don't know, man, they're just big, they're clunky, they're unusual, they're massive, and they, no other guitars sound like them because there's just so much wood to them. Uh, and both my guitars weigh 13, 14 pounds. Oh man, that's gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're unbelievable, but they're so hard to haul around, and I don't want to tour with 40 year old guitars, so I don't I I just leave them at home. Yeah.
1: Uh, piggybacking on that, Andrew Spann wants to know, in your opinion, who makes the best uh, reproduction of that right now?
2: You know what? It's funny. Um, Gibson have tried several times to make. An RD and it's a bummer because I would buy I would buy six of them right now if they were actually true to how they used to be. Because the one unique thing about the RDs was it's a Gibson with a 25 and a half inch scale, mm-hmm. which I love yeah. and, and prefer. Um, but all the reissues have a stupid 24 and three-quarter scale. Which the original RDS only had for like the last six months of production anyway, and um, I, I just that bugs me. But um, the Eastwood one is pretty close. Um, I don't think I don't know if anyone makes an the the best. I guess Gibson would make the best one currently. The last one they made was pretty good. It was the burst. It was the tobacco burst one. That was pretty cool, but. Uh, other than that, I mean, RD Shapes, I had a signature guitar um, for a while with Balaguer guitars, and Balaguer makes the Hyperion. That's kind of a first act Delgada kind of a vibe, but uh, that's very RD-ish as well. Right, right.
1: Let's see. Thanks for that. That was good. Um, You're welcome. Somebody, uh, let's see, Ryan, whoa, let me make sure I get that last name right. Rollinson. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Ryan Rollinson wants, wants you to uh, rate slash roast my rig, but I don't have a rig. I, it changes literally every day, so I don't know if we're going to be able to do that. But I can, te- mm. I can tell you what I'm playing right now and, and, uh, or what I played last night, and maybe that'll work for this. Okay, what did you play last night? Okay, so last night I was playing my uh, millimetric instruments baritone, I don't know if you've seen no, them. I don't right. know if you've seen those or not. They're pretty trippy. Builder out of Canada. Uh okay. Into just I was it was really simple. Just into a Chase Bliss dark world and into my Benson Vincent. That's all that's all I was using. Hmm, okay. Well, I'm not going to roast
2: you. I don't think I should like sit here and make fun of you on your podcast. Oh, I I would
1: I'm open to it.
2: Because normally <laughs> Normally, I'm looking at a picture and I'm roasting like things about the picture. Right. So, um, okay. Well, I will. I will give you one roast. That is an incredibly hipster. Uh, that is incredibly hipster setup. Yes. Uh, did it come? Did it come with uh, mustache oil and a uh, an old school <laughs> wood pipe and suspenders for your
1: Appalachian mountaineer, circa 1800? I will take. I will um, take that because I am. Uh, I definitely am a hipster. Uh, and I, I admit it, <laughs> Okay. although I can't grow a mustache, I have the I have the, I have the Abe Lincoln beard because I can't grow a proper mustache. So, whatever. Okay, um,
2: that's a pretty solid rig, though. That sounds that sounds like a lot of fun, especially with the baritone.
1: Yeah, I'm so into the baritone right now. <sighs> Love the baritone, man. Mm. Love it. This one's a little shorter. It's a 27 inch scale because I was like unsure. Okay, it was my first baritone. And I wasn't really sure how long I was like, I had a 27 or I have a 27 inch uh, seven string. And at the time it felt like it was a mile long to me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm used to it. But, and so I was like, let's just go with 27. Cause if we go 28, you know, I'm, I feel like it's going to be a stretch. And now I'm like, I wish I would have went a little longer. I would have got used to it, but still uh, it looks, this guitar looks better though. I think if the neck was too long, because of uh, the unusual shape of it, it would look kind of funny if the neck was too long. I think so. Probably a good aesthetic choice.
2: I like twenty-seven inch, uh, twenty-seven inch scale. I have a, I have a one-off, um, Music Man Axis Baritone that is a twenty-seven inch scale, and it's oh, it's lovely, <clears throat> so
1: good. <clears throat> that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'm sure you get this all the time, but I also would like to know the answer to this. Uh, Uh, Again I'm butchering people's last names Left and right so apologies to everyone But Eric Zenhausern Asks how did you Get your nickname
2: Um, Back in the 90's I was in this hardcore Punk band and I had bleached Hair that I would spike And, And We played super fast and we were very very Angry young men but we would practice uh, in our drummer's basement whenever his parents would go do their errands for the weekend. And this always u- was usually about 10 a.m. every Saturday. And for a 19-year-old or 18-year-old, uh, 10 a.m. felt like 4 in the morning for me at the time. <laughs> and And so I wouldn't do anything to my hair. So I would roll out of bed and go to practice and i basically had this crazy bleached white boy afro okay. kind of a thing okay and uh our other guitar player sid said it's like a puff it's like a it's like a big fluff i'm going to start calling you fluff and i was like please don't call me that and they're like no, that's nope, you're fluff and instantly like literally overnight our entire circle of friends was calling me fluff and the name stuck. He later went on to play bass for a band called Sworn Enemy mm-hmm. over in New York. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where it came from. Okay is me not putting <laughs> stuff in my hair.
1: All right, which actually makes like more sense than like any other origin story probably. right? <laughs> oh. All right, let's see. We're getting close. Okay, this this is probably what a lot of people listening would like to know, and this is from uh, Eric Camero, who also does stuff on YouTube. He's a does a really good job. Oh, cool, um, but he wants to know what are your tips for creating a successful YouTube channel? Um, the first tip I would say is do
2: do what you find interesting. Do it for you first. Um, for me. The goal was to never I, I didn't start out doing doing things for numbers or money or subs or anything related to that. I simply I just wa- want, didn't want anyone else to feel like I felt in that you know, I just didn't know how to to do what I wanted to do, and I just thought that was so unfair. and that's why I did. If it all went away today, but still do it like it doesn't you know The um, any, any amount of AdSense money or any perks is totally inconsequential to your love of whatever it is your channel is about whether it's cooking gaming guitar stuff um, it just has to be about your passion because people are so smart these days they can pick up on you know if you're doing it for under false pretenses so um, that's the first thing Really, really mean it. Really care. Be in love with what you're doing. Second is to give it time. Um, I see a lot of younger guys instantly think that, you know, oh, I need more subs. I need more subs. I haven't gotten more subs. I've only, you know, I've been doing this six months. How long does it take kind of a thing? You know, I've, I've been doing this seriously since 2015, but, you know, I've been doing this as a whole for, you know, going on 10 years. So... You know, it doesn't happen. You know, you know what they say. It takes a lifetime to have an overnight success. Of course, but, uh, of course. You know, always. Um, also, uh, a really good way to kind of get in the express lane of viewers and exposure to people is collaborating with other people, no matter how big or small. Um, collaborating with others will open you up to other people's audiences, and if you do it successfully, it will it will hit big. Um, the example I gave with uh, Rob Scallon. I I just did it because I really loved his stuff. I wasn't doing it for subs because again, uh, again at the time he had 30,000 subs and I think I had 7,000 subs or something like that. And I did because I just loved his, I I was su- such a huge fan of Rob. Mm-hmm. And he was such he was such a unique guy. And with just these unbelievable ideas, I just wanted to help him be a part of the team. That's that's my motivation the whole time. So yeah, those those three things will will help you go far in the world of social media. I think.
1: Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds perfect. And you know, yeah. coming from me with uh, where I have three hundred and eighty subscribers on YouTube, I definitely agree. I would, uh, I am an expert. but no i i can agree with with all of that stuff because from the podcast perspective you know know, it doesn't really matter what media channel you're focusing on it's Mm -mm. it's kind of all the same at the end of the day as far as like how do you do something and it's i would agree with all of that so that's uh that's awesome Well, I think that's, well, there's some other stuff in the group, but, you know, some people just like to ask silly questions, and I sometimes will ask those, (laughs) but sometimes I won't. But uh, we are getting down to the last few minutes here of the podcast, and we got some classic questions to go over. But before we do that, this is your chance to, like, put up a billboard and kind of say whatever you want to say, plug anything you want to plug, or you just got something you want to get off your chest, now's a good time. Um.
2: Uh, this this podcast is awesome. I've enjoyed listening to it for a while now. We listen to it on the road when we're uh, when we're on tour. Oh, thank you so and, much. And and thrice rules. Yes. And um. Black star amps are terrible. There
1: we go. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about the black star amp. Just kidding. Uh, I've I've never played a black star, so I can't comment. But. I mean,
2: a lot of people get great tones with them, so I can't I can't really complain that
1: much. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, <laughs> all right, so here we go. We're going getting into the classic questions. So this this is the first one. What is your favorite boss pedal?
2: <sighs> oh, there's so many good ones. I know, man. I I absolutely love love boss pedals. Um. What's the best boss pedal? I mean, besides the tuner, I really love the tuner, and that's like their most popular, best-selling all-time pedal, apparently, uh, from what they were telling me. Um, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go for the philosophical answer and say the Boss DS1. Oh, because, man! Of course. Because without that pedal, we would have never had Nirvana, and I would have never heard "In Bloom" and gone. I need to pick up a guitar right now.
1: Mm-hmm. So I like it. Yeah, the Boss Boss DS one. I love the Boss DS one. It sounds <laughs> so so good. good on baritone. You just you have to not think about like setting it like you would a normal distortion because you got to back the tone yep. off way further. But yep. I'm, I put up a video, oh probably a year ago now on on Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> where I was like guess the pedal. Because it sounded so good, and people were like, it's it's a Big Muff, it's a this, it's a that, and then it was like, nope, it's a DS-1, and some people were like, I Boom. didn't know a DS-1 could do that, and like, DS-1 rules, and this is a, it's a black one, it's a, like a special Guitar Center one. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't, wow. circuit-wise, it's the same, you know, it's Oubre. nothing about it, it's different, but... Like it is just a anything that you can go grab DS1. It's not special. It they're just cool pedals. So <laughs> that's all there is to it. I had a I had a
2: Keeley modded uh, DS1 way back. I mean over ten years ago that I loved. It was great, but I had no use for it mm-hmm. for my newer stuff. So I got rid of it a long time ago. But
1: I regret getting rid of it. Well, I'm sure Rob can we can talk to Rob. We'll 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 figure that out if you really need another. Do you one. know Rob? Oh yeah. Definitely, he's. Been, what? Oh yeah, he's been on the show a couple times. He's. Uh, he's am- amazing. I love Rob. Dude, he's a genius and a legend. Yes. is what he is. Yeah, he's tremendous. He, his, his first episode on the, the podcast, which I actually did re put out. Mm, I don't remember. It was. It was a while ago. I I re put it out into the feed because so many people had said that was their favorite now the audio obviously is a little spotty it's not as good as sure we are these days but he got it was the first time that somebody got like deep on the show and it was like oh wow this is a this podcast is becoming a different thing you know he was talking about that's so cool like his addictions and stuff and it was like oh i didn't know we were gonna talk about that uh <laughs> wow. So, yeah, go check that one out if, if every everyone uh, check that one out if you haven't. It's it's really it was a turning point for the podcast in in my mind. But um wow. Yeah. That's cool. Crazy. But okay, last question. What is your favorite kind of pizza? <sighs> um
2: favorite kind of pizza is a pepperoni and chicken pizza pepperoni and chicken
1: that's a new yes. one. yes try it dude it's so good like a like a barbecued chicken or
2: like a nope 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 regular chicken breast nothing on it with pepperoni it's there's something about the meat combination oh
1: it's just heavenly that sounds pretty good you like a thin crust are you thick crust where do you go there um I'm in between. I don't like the super I don't
2: like the Pizza Hut crust. It's I'm a, I'm a more of a Domino's guy. Mm-hmm. Or a little or a little Caesars type of guy. I mean, I'm not saying I like Little Caesars because Little Caesars is garbage, but it's every good every once in a while on tour. But and cheap um like uh Domino's or at home like DiGiorno or something, but I honestly don't eat pizza ever hardly anymore. Um yeah, if I do, it's going to be it's going to be pepperoni and chicken.
1: All right, pepperoni and chicken. Noted. I'll have to try it one of these days. Dude, do it. You'll thank me. Okay. We'll do. <laughs> well, thanks so much for doing this. We're uh, right at that hour mark, so this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Dude, thank you for having me, man. This is great. I wish we could have done it like we planned in person, but you know, social distancing and all. So, I know episode two, episode two, episode 2 we I'll have to have you come down to the shred shed, and uh, then you can rate slash roast everything in here, oh. and how and how hipster the entire room is. I will do <laughs> it, sir. So much wood. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll do it. All right, so thanks so much, man. So for, all right, dude. Thank you. Uh, all right, everybody. For I don't know. I I don't. I shouldn't call you fluff. I feel like I should call you Ryan, but I don't know. Uh, you should call me Fluff Okay, for Fluff this is Blake and as always folks good luck and good tones alright was that awesome or what I thoroughly 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 enjoyed it so much in fact that we went on for more time on Patreon so if you would like more of this conversation you can go over to patreon.com slash tone mob and there you will be presented with all kinds of options which will give you more audio content to your ears every week. And furthermore, it helps support the show, helps keep the lights on, and helps keep everything going. It literally keeps the lights on because the amount of Patreon supporters we have right now literally just pays for my electrical bill. So we've got that going for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for everyone that is supporting over there and has for so long. It means the world. It really, really does. This is a a crazy time. And uh, that is extremely helpful. So, yeah, I think that's it for now. But if you want to share this with a friend, all that good stuff, you know what to do. You've been listening to the show for a while. And if this is your first time, uh, welcome to it. Hope you enjoy it. All right. I'll talk to you next week, folks. Goodbye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you.